Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. I want to talk to you about responding to the culture, and specifically in this case, I want to talk about racism. Uh, the culture, in our context, means social norms, cust customs, traditions, lifestyle, way of life, so societal values, or morals. Now, as we know, our culture is changing. As society moves further from God, they seem to be moving further from logic and science as well a lot of times. Now, our response should always be based in the Word of God and facts. Colossians 2, chapter 2, verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, our topics are going to be one, race, two, racism, prejudice, three, do black lives matter, and four, critical race theory. Our focus will be in what the Bible says, what God says in relationship to these ideas. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, verse 3 means, though we are in the body still, we know that our war is of the spirit and of the mind of the heart. Ours is not a physical war of force or brute force. In verse 4, if you look at verse 4, our weapon is the word of God, the Bible. It is a sword with divine power. With it, we can pull down or destroy the castles or fortresses of ideas that oppose God's truth. Verse 5, we pull down arguments that are reasoned or thought-out ideas or lofty opinions, meaning that someone is proud of their opinion and it is esteemed highly as better or greater than others' opinions and maybe even God's opinion. We want to bring all these ideas into line with the Lord, with the Word of God. Now, verse 6 reads a bit weird, but I've stated it out, and I think I can explain it in a way that makes sense. Ready to punish all disobedience has to do with defeating ideas that refuse to acknowledge God and what he knows and says. In other words, these ideas come from those who are inattentive or they're ignoring God. But the idea is that we will submit to God and his authority then we will confront and defeat these ideas that ignore God and his truth. That is the idea and the hope in this, that we will defeat or correct these incorrect or false ideas that the world pushes at us. So first, let's look at race. Now, I looked up definitions of race, and there are a lot of crazy definitions nowadays. One more reasonable, I think more acceptable definition is 
a grouping of humans based on shared physical or social qualities in into categories generally viewed as distinct by society. Now, an older definition was this. Uh, I'm showing like two definitions here on the screen, and the second one is the older one. Now, I am only looking at what pertains to us as humans, okay? I'm not looking at other things. This says people of common descent, people descended from a common ancestor, class of persons allied by common ancestry, the descendants of a common ancestor, a group sharing a common lineage. Now, this itself, the second one would say that we are all one race, having all descended from Adam and Eve. And I believe most of us do think of race more as the second definition. Modern science seems to regard race as a social construct, mainly based on physical similarities used to group people together or divide people into separate groups. Race does not have an inherent physical or biological meaning or value scientifically. In other words, race has no practical significance because we are all homo sapiens. We are all humans. There is no significant scientific difference. What people call racial characteristics are things that um, that may seem like major differences. Skin color, eye, shape, hair. You know, these are just normal variations that we see in all animal life. Our, our bodies, after all, are flesh created to dwell on this earth with other fleshly creatures. We see different colorings of animals all the time. These have no intrinsic value or meaning, and it is the same with us. Because these are all just external characteristics, hair, skin, and eyes, the modern meaning of race, referring to humans, is really just an attempt to categorize people based mainly on these physical differences. If we could take our skin and our hair off and like hang it up over on the side, we would easily see that we're all, all of us, very much the same creature or being without that distraction. So that is a logical human perspective. Race is a social construct or imagined idea of grouping and identifying people. It only has the value that we as people assign it or put into it. So there really are not separate races, just different skin tones and hair and eyes. That does not make us significantly different from each other. That's just looking at this with common sense. Now, what do we find in the Bible? Now here, Paul is talking to the people of Athens about the unknown God that they worshipped. And this is in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We mainly want to focus on the first part of verse 26, but I want to include the rest for some context of the overall statement. He is explaining that God made from one man every nation on the face of the earth. In other words, we all came from or descended from Adam and Eve. 
So in this, God very much agrees with science that there is just mankind, humans as a whole. And that's why the Bible refers to nationalities and peoples by their genealogy and not based on outward characteristics. For instance, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 6 is sometimes translated with the word race in more modern translations, but it just means a mixed people where some Jewish people had interwed with Gentiles. So it isn't really talking about races of men. Uh, the only race I could really find, if you go back and like look at the King James Bible, is the competitive running of a race. Now, that's all I could find was where there's comparisons made with a race, as in running a race. Races of people is a concept created by men, by people. In other words, there's mankind, there's humanity, there's people, there's homo sapiens. But there are no different races in reality. We are all the same logical creature with the same ancestors. Both God and science agree on this. Now, two, if we look at racism or prejudice, since there are no races, does that mean that we have no racism? Well, technically, by definition, you could say there's no racism. However, there is, that's only a technicality because there is prejudice. Now, prejudice is a preconceived opinion, mostly negative, that is not based on reason or facts or actual experience. It is a prejudgment. Prejudice is usually based on outward appearances like skin, hair, eyes, though it can be based on a number of things like clothing, religion, nationality, language. Unfortunately, this is not uncommon for people as a whole. For instance, the Jews were prejudiced against Gentiles. The Romans thought everyone else were savages and barbarians. What do you think of when I say Russian or Chinese or Iranian? We definitely have certain thoughts that come to mind. It's normal. I think we have these stereotypes that pop in our heads. I'm not saying it's okay, but it's a normal part of being human. This is a normal fleshly thing that we need to fight within ourselves. Now, what if I say Baptist or Catholic or Lutheran or Pentecostal? Again, we have certain notions and ideas of people based on these labels. It's normal, something we need to recognize and then consciously dismiss from our thoughts. Note that there is no such favoritism or prejudice with God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Now, partiality is just favoritism or prejudice. Favoritism is a more is a better, more positive form of prejudice. Romans chapter 2, verse 11, For there is no partiality with God. The Bible warns us to not show favoritism or bias. Both are a form of prejudice or prejudgment. Speaking of how to deal with and relate to different church members, Paul told Timothy this, which does apply to us today. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, 
I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. See how important this is. Who are we charged in front of? In front of God, the Lord Jesus, and the elect angels. Okay. Notice again, without prejudice or bias, doing nothing with partiality, what we would call favoritism. Then we're told how to deal with others in general. This could apply to both Christians and non-Christians. If you look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In this example, both are presumed to be strangers or unknown to us. As Christians, we should treat them equally, making no distinction between them. We are warned to not judge or prejudge, which is the idea of prejudice, by the exterior clothing of men. This would easily apply to different skin tones or hair or lack thereof because we are all different from each other as God intended us to be. We're told not to show favoritism based on these external things. Instead, we are told to be humble and serve others. If you look at Mark chapter 10 verses 42 through 44 and Jesus is talking to the disciples, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them because they were arguing about who would be greater. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Now notice, if you want to be first, you need to be the servant of all. We are also told we must love others. 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, the Lord, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This use of brother is our fellow man or woman, not just fellow Christians. This is an everything and everyone. We must love and care for everyone if we're going to bring them to the Lord. So we're going to admit that prejudice does exist. It's not always related to skin color or skin tone. We need to make sure we acknowledge it. It is a human failing and that we deal with it. We can overcome it with the Lord with the word of the Lord, with the love of God. And, you know, we need to recognize that everyone has it. We're all very much the same. So third, does black lives matter? Do black lives matter? Yes, of course they do. As Christians, we should always care about everyone. And saying that we do care for everyone does not water down the idea that we care about dark-skinned, 
and light-skinned and everything in between people. I know some will claim we are lessening the statement by saying every life matters, but I don't believe we are. I don't accept that. You know the Bible does not really mention skin color, except for the Song of Solomon, which is really referring to being tanned from working in the sun, if I understand it correctly. And that's in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. But now God does say this. God loves us all. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who is us that were sinners? All of us. Everyone on this earth. And all that he requires of us is that we follow him. If you look at Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, no favoritism, no prejudice, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, every nation, whoever, that phrase, but in every nation, whoever, just means everyone. Everyone who fears him and works righteousness is accepted. So you could say, but everyone who reveres God and works righteousness is accepted. God is no respecter of persons, rich or poor, external appearances aside, those, those do not matter. Um, as Christians, we should follow God's example. The color or pigment of skin does not determine the value of anyone. We are all precious to God. So, number four is critical race theory. Please note that this is a theory and is presented from a legal standpoint, so the, the terminology might seem a little odd. Um, but these are not facts. A theory is a supposition. It is a conjecture, educated guess, or sometimes just a guess. It is an unproven idea that might or might not be. It is speculation and assumption. Now, this theory is defined in several ways. One way I found was the Denver Post stated it this way. Critical race theory suggests that racism and other prejudices are social constructs embedded in legal systems and laws, not the product of individual biases. Now, I read that, and that was, like I said, that was from the Denver Post. It refers to Education Weekly as its source. Now, what they said here doesn't make good sense because our laws are not written in such a way as to be prejudiced against any particular person. So I did go looking backward to their source, which is Education Weekly. Now, and it defined this a little differently. It said the core idea is that race is a social construct and that racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. So here, it contradicts what the Denver Post said and says that, no, it is, it is a product of individual bias and prejudice, and it's embedded it in legal systems and policies. So the Denver Post tried to water it down a little bit. So notice that changing of the words. These two do not readily agree. So I decided to try to dig back a little deeper. Now, I found this that's on the screen, 
from 2006, about 15 years ago. And this is as close to the original description of this that I could that I personally could find. This is from the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication. And it states critical race theory as shown from kind of a legal perspective. Now, critical race theory challenges the ability of conventional legal strategies to deliver social and economic justice. Now, the idea is that minorities are not able to receive justice in the system. Okay, now that's the idea. Now, some of the basic tenets are, number one, the belief that racism is a fundamental part of American society, not an aberration that can be readily remedied by law. Now, notice this is a belief. This is just a belief. It's an idea, but it's not really proven that we are all fundamentally prejudiced and the law is also prejudiced. Now, whereas I would concede that we all have a certain amount of prejudice in us that we have to war against, not all prejudices are even based on these same physical characteristics that they suggest. Um, regardless of past injustice, injustices and uh, bad actors who have abused the system, the law does not really favor one person over any other. Number two, they have a belief, or it, this, this theory has a belief, that culture constructs its own social reality in its own self-interest. Minorities are not a part of the legal system's self-interest. Now, that's, again, that's a belief that somehow minorities are not a part of the legal systems. And this is just not true. We have representatives of all types of people in every form of government and positions of law. I mean, this is just provably false. So, number three, an understanding that white elites will tolerate or encourage race, racial progress for minorities only if doing so also promotes white self-interest. Note that this is an understanding or knowledge of something. However, there's no proof given. This is, again, a belief, but it's one that they want to put forth as a fact. So they say an understanding that white elites are doing this, but there's no actual basis for this that I can find in reality, and they certainly don't give anything. I guess I'm not an elite. I'm not aware of any such conspiracy. I've also heard some successful minority people discredit this with their own life story, and certainly there are a lot of examples of that. If you can't think of any other example, well, then think of President Barack Obama. There are a lot of other examples of people in Congress, on the Supreme Court, I mean, just everywhere. The interesting portion of this is only if doing so also promotes white self-interest. So the way they have phrased this is purposely in a way so that anything can be twisted into belonging in this category. If a minority actually succeeds, then they can say, well, that promoted the self-interest, the white self-interest. So they can basically discount any good report from anybody that does not agree with what they want to say. Now, this this is definitely 
a bad part. And it is, I'm sorry, it is a prejudicial part of this theory. Now we look at number four, that because it is skeptical of dominant legal theories supporting hierarchy, neutrality, objectivity, colorblindness, meritocracy, ahistoricism, and single axis analysis, it draws several different draws from several different theoretical foundations such as liberalism, feminism, law and society, Marxism, postmodernism, pragmatism, and cultural nationalism. Now, I'm not going to look at all these different things that it says it draws upon because all of these things are huge topics of their own and it's very hard to say that these ideas here are drawn specifically from any one little piece of those. Um, however, we can look at the things that they are skeptical of. They are skeptical of hierarchy. Hierarchy, they do not trust the people in charge. Okay. They do not trust the neutrality and objectivity and color blindness of the systems at play in our daily lives, meaning the justice system and the, uh, the government. They do not trust that it is colorblind and objective and neutral. They do not believe in meritocracy. Now, meritocracy is the idea that you can work hard and get ahead. You can earn your way to a better life, and they don't believe that's possible. Again, there are a number of people of all types that disprove that skepticism. Now, ahistoricism is a lack of regard for history. The way this is worded and the way this is here, I'm not sure. Maybe they're accusing the system of ignoring history. I don't know. I, I would say they are ignoring the fact of history and how things have greatly improved and changed for minorities over the past 100 years, 50 years, 60 years. Now, single-axis analysis is a complaint that the law only looks at things one way. That is true. And to be objectively fair... That is a limitation of the law. We don't want the law to be really subjective. Subjectivity in the law is not something we would want because it would likely lead to prejudicial behavior. It would likely lead to abuse. So we want the law to be as objective as reasonably possible. Now, also to be fair, we ourselves do not always trust some of the things in our government and in our legal system. I do not always trust Congress and, pres and the President to make the right choices. Even the ones I like, I don't always agree with. It's just That's just the way it is. Now, some people seem to be promoting and using this theory to teach an odd kind of prejudice or, um, or, or racism, according to their words, against white people. But I, I don't see that as mentioned in this theory. The idea that all whites are oppressors and everyone else are victims. Um, so the people pushing that idea, they may be rogue operators or they could just be uh, people that have taken this and added to it and changed it. I'm not sure. Now, I would say after reading this and thinking about it, this theory is based on fear. A fear that everyone that is not like me is against me. Meaning all you people with hair, all of you don't like me because I don't have hair. That kind of silliness. But it is a fear. It's a fear 
that Satan wants people to have so that they will not see the truth. Jesus quoted this from Isaiah. John chapter 12, verse 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Satan wants people blinded with fear and hatred. But there is a solution. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So fear involves torment. So these people, they are afraid and they are really tormenting themselves with this fear. So our response to these things should be God's word. And let's remember that while we respond in truth, you know, we can't accept the things that are not true and we have to respond in truth. We also want to make our response in love, in God's love, not showing favoritism or partiality. Finally, notice that God gave Jesus for all the world, including every skin color, hair and eye characteristic for everyone. Uh, if you read John 3, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I mean, probably the most famous verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What? Who's involved in the world and whoever? Everyone. This. The Lord is here for everyone. Neither should we condemn. Most likely, we should pity those who believe these things. We should reason in love and hope to change hearts and minds. So I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.